Welcome back. Welcome to Decision Space, the only show to take place right here in the space between the turns in your favorite games. I'm Brendan Hansen. I'm Jake Friedman. And this is the podcast about decisions in games. And today we are back with part two of our My City Deep Dive discussion, this time covering the legacy game aspect of My City. It's an exciting day. It's a two-parter. Thank you for joining us for the first part and thank you for coming back for this part. Or maybe you skipped the first part because you were like, oh, that legacy, that eternal game. I don't even know why they're starting with the eternal game. The legacy game is what it's all about. Everyone knows My City's legacy game. And if you did that, you should listen to the first part. We like to do part one and then part two, but maybe you like to do part two and then part one. Who are we to judge? You know, I would never presume. Likewise. But I think this is going to be a really good episode, Jake. And like with most two-part episodes, we're keeping all of the rules overviews, our ratings and reviews, all that stuff in the first part. I say most as if we do two-part episodes all the time. However, this is our second two-part episode ever. So we're just really setting the most trend right now in this moment. Yeah. And Brent, if it's okay with you, can I just mention one piece of housekeeping? I would love to hear some housekeeping. Great. We love housekeeping. And this time we're going to promote our Patreon. If you want to support this show, you can do so at decisionspace.com slash Patreon. We have a bunch of different levels of support. Any and all amount you can give goes a long way <clears throat> to making this show better. It's helping us get Brendan a flight out to Geekway so we can hang out for the first time in person Eek. and a bunch of other awesome stuff. Everything's going to go right back into the show. But the reason I'm bringing that up now is because we just had a vote on our next patron selected game for the show. So I am very pleased to announce that coming soon, Brendan and I will be doing a deep dive on Trois. <laughs> I think that R was a little hard. I think it's Twa. Twa. Yeah. The sort of dice, the dice game in which you can use dice to take actions and buy each other's dice that has a a ton of fans and sort of, I would say, a lasting legacy as being known as a very interactive Euro game. So I'm really excited to dive into that one. So a big thank you to all of our patrons for selecting it. Sorry to all the food chain magnate boosters. I'm sure your time will come. And if you still don't know what game we're covering, it is fin- it is spelled T-R-O-Y-E-S. So that would be how to look it up. Twa. <laughs> yeah, of course. All right, Brendan, what do you say we get off the housekeeping and get right into this discussion? One thing that we always do is we like to talk about the decision space that we're discussing. And, you know, we talked a lot about the core game and the core systems of my city in the first episode. And I think there's room in this conversation to discuss the decision space of the meta game of the legacy game itself. But I don't think that's going to be the most interesting way to start the discussion. I almost think we should just talk a little bit about our our early impressions, our first impressions with the campaign, and then kind of go through the campaign and talk about sort of episode by episode, full spoilers about our thoughts of these different campaigns, episodes, uh, chapters, and sort of how it develops. What do you think? I think that makes perfect sense. Okay. Just general impressions about our legacy game experiences. I think, yeah, let's start start there. Yeah, I think for me, mostly positive. I guess the first thing I'll mention about it is it's broken up nicely so that each given game of my city, it's almost not enough to take this game out, set it up, learn some new legacy rules, play one episode and put it back together. So I think they've done in a nice way where you kind of have these like bite-sized chunk where you could play an entire chapter, which is three games. And that feels like a solid play of this. And if you wanted to make it like a whole evening, you could easily do two chapters or, yeah. or even more. Yeah, every every sort of episode, I would say, takes around 20 minutes. You know, some episodes are even faster than that when they've put in specific rules that really accelerate the game or maybe a yeah. little bit slower towards the end of the game where the board has spoiler opened up a little bit more. But I think that overall, I really agree, Jake. I was excited to try this mostly because of its reputation. So many people had sort of said My, My City is just this incredible uh, Kinesia game, but also an incredible legacy experience. And when I first heard about it, I was just... I wasn't sold. I wasn't interested. I didn't have, I hadn't had awesome experiences with past legacy games. I really liked Pandemic Legacy, but I sort of felt that that's the legacy game I've played. Sort of felt that was enough. Like I get it. It's fun. 
it's probably not for me. And I didn't realize what I really wanted was a lighter legacy game experience, right? One that I could iteratively play a bunch. And I think that the the personal player boards really worked for me in the case of my city. Uh, so it really charmed me. It's consistently innovative and inventive. And I find that nothing really outstays its welcome, which I'm sure is something that we'll talk a little bit about more in the episode. But overall, first play, the more I played, the more I, my, the more I enjoyed it, uh, which led me to play the campaign two more times. So I have three campaign plays under my belt, uh, which is a lot of games, but I yeah. have some impressions. I think that subsequent campaign plays have been less exciting for mm. me. Which makes sense, right? You've seen it before. You kind of know what's coming. And I do think now having played the campaign game once, and then now I'm going to play it again all the way through with Bridget. And I think I'll be done after that. And yeah. if, if I were to start playing My City with somebody new, I would. I think I'm only interested in playing the Eternal game now at this point, for the most part. Maybe that's speaking to the fact that like the individual games aren't necessarily as good in and of themselves as the eternal game to me yeah and also perhaps speaking generally to like some of the, like the meta game aspects of it which we'll get into more in a bit the other thing i wanted to say about the campaign game as a whole is that it does feel like there has been an innovation here from what we've seen in games like pandemic legacy which is that there is essentially no story beats mm -hmm. at all. Yeah. Yes, there's like technically a sentence of story that you might get where it's like, oh, you invented a lumber mill. Yeah. Or, oh, now it's flooding. You know, or, but that's all you get. Um, so I think what people remember about their plays of Pandemic Legacy are, are these big story beats, right? something happens to a character in the game or there's like a specific event that you read about that changes the game uh, and thematically it makes a lot of sense yeah. where here you don't get that at all which kind of makes me think it's almost like this is a campaign game for you know more so for like hobby gaming enthusiasts where like other story narrative is maybe a way to like help welcome people into hobby board gaming in some ways i don't know if that is this no, yeah, no, I totally agree. I appreciate you calling that out, Jake, because it's there's so little story that it's almost gesturing at the po the idea that maybe there should be some cohesive narrative at like, oh yeah, like we we should have this in here, but we don't. Um, but and it's also kind of like you know the story of civilizations developing, so it's okay, which is true, it's fine, but it's a good warning for people if you want a rich a rich narrative in your game, don't play my city. <laughs> yeah, but also it does like the reason you tear through these episodes is because you're getting a new mechanism yep right yeah and that's awesome to me like i really like that but i think that is a specific appeal so yeah. just be aware of that and usually every chapter right there's a there's a whole new mechanism and then there'll be little iterative twists on the mechanism within each episode of the chapter or an old twist might return yeah. Uh, like the classic no passing twist that gets used a few times, which I like. It gives the game a particular feel and it also gives you a chance to sort of iterate. But I think, Jake, what do you think? Should we just get into it and talk chapter by chapter about some of the our impressions of these different envelopes, as it were, in the in the actual physical game? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Spoiler season. Begin. Begins. Wow. Okay. So Here chapter one. I would say episodes one through three, Jake, really feel like a, a learning episode, right? It's a tutorialization of the game. It strips the game out to its most basic form. And I think that it's a really great example of that being done well. I found that on my rich playing this multiple times, you know, you start playing My City without a contiguous color scoring role. And going back to that in my second and third campaigns, I thought was very novel. Uh, it isn't the most fun way to play my city, but it it was fine. And it was novel enough that I wasn't sort of bored out of my mind the second and third times through the campaign. So contiguous colors get introduced into the game in game number two. And that's also when the light green spaces become negative. So before that, the light green spaces aren't even negative values. So these sort of core and fundamental rules of the game kind of just get tacked on slowly. And then the well gets added in game number three. So in game one, you're just literally scoring positives for trees. Trees and, and rocks. negatives for rock. Yep. Yeah. No churches. Yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating. And I think there's this is a trouble spot for a lot of campaign games generally, right? Yeah. Is how do you onboard people into the game? 
in a way that doesn't suck. And I know that I don't do a ton of campaign games, honestly, but that's criticism I've heard in other podcasts, which is like mm. a lot of times campaign games don't give their best first, right? Because they want yeah. people to like learn the game, like get on board a little bit. But in today's day and age of playing, you know, a bunch of board games once or twice, you know, you really want to get into the meat of stuff quickly. I was really blown away by this the very first game just because everything just clicks so intuitively it's so easy i mentioned the first episode i think it's just a really ingenious little design and it gives you that like this is the design this is the core idea that we will be playing with the whole time that formula never changes right you're always going to be flipping over a card and placing a tile on your board and and that core kind of fun is present right off the bat and then the other advantage that my city has over other more robust campaign games is that first game is going to take you 10 minutes tops. Yeah, yeah right? totally. And then you're on to the next thing. And, you know, not for nothing, but to make meaningful decisions in my city, to some extent, you need to know the tile set. So this sort of first chapter acts as kind of a practice game for everyone to see the tiles that are there. You, because there isn't the negative scoring for the light green spaces, you get to practice uh, and make mistakes that would be mistakes if they were if that light green scoring was present, uh, but it's not. So it's kind of a nice practice session for everyone to kind of get used to and familiar with things uh, before those additional rules are introduced. Yeah, I think if the first game of my city and this kind, I think every I, the ideal right is that every game in my city is a good fun experience, right? Yep. That would be like a perfectly acceptable or publishable game. Yeah. in its own right. And that's a really high barrier, but I think that's what we as gamers should be ex- expecting campaign games to meet that bar in order to like justify existing in this forum. And I think like game two, we're there. Adding the contiguous colors, adding the light green. I'm so excited. It's, it's I think, really great. Yeah, I game think game that, one, honestly. It works for you. Yeah. I think like if, if this was packaged as a flip and write game, right? Sure. Where you, and you just have a deck of cards and a pad of paper and these tile sets. And, you, you know, it could be had for 10 bucks or less. People would like this game a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. I will say there's not a ton more to talk about in sort of this first chapter. It's one of the less interesting, but I will say maybe this is a nice time to talk about the well generally as we're going to add more mechanisms later. And I will say that my first time through the campaign, I had such a hard time with the well, Jake. I just couldn't get value out of the well. I think I placed my sticker because you get to pick where on your whole board your well goes. I think the first time I played, I just placed the well really poorly. So I didn't fully know the tile set. I didn't fully understand the implications of the decision I was making. So I kind of ignored it. I, I maybe got it once. And in subsequent replays and in the Eternal game, I love taking advantage of the well. Uh, so that was interesting. Maya actually in our play did much better with the well, uh, which was it was kind of this interesting sort of self-balancing thing. And I think that one thing about my city is it does at times ask you to make decisions where you don't understand the implications of those decisions, uh, the first time being the well. But it almost... I won't say it doesn't matter. It does matter. But there's so much going on that there's just other things to focus on if if something doesn't quite work out how you hope it would. Yeah, I don't think you can really shoot yourself in the foot too badly on placing the well. Um, as I mean, unless you put it in like a place where it would be impossible to complete sure. like on the edge of your board. That would be devastating. What if you put it like top left by the river with like one space all around? So I think the interesting thing about that is you have a pro and a con for placing your well in a difficult to achieve space, which is that it actually makes your decision space, I think, smaller in some ways, mm-hmm. right? Where you have a more limited tile set to be able to complete the well, um, which then you don't have to worry as much about those and can just think about something else. Yeah. Um, yeah, I kind of did that as an experiment in the game that I'm playing now with Bridget. Um where I I have one of my wells is at the second on the second row. And it's actually kind of nice because I can just like I know what I need to do to like complete that spot and I can just like not worry about those tiles. Yeah. Uh where if it's in the middle, you have more flexibility and also kind of more ways to shoot yourself in the foot. I love that you just brought up one of your wells because a second well becomes a catch-up mechanism in the sort of first half of the game. And I will say I have also played games with double wells and I love playing my city with double wells. It's such a tough puzzle. It's very fun when you get double well scoring. And just to speak a little bit more about placing stickers in general, right? So even when you lose a game, I think it's as early as the first chapter, right? If you win a game, you might have to add a rock to your board, 
which is negative points if left uncovered at the end. And if you lose, you might get to add a tree to your board onto one of the light green spaces, flipping a space from negative if it's left uncovered to a positive. And, and yeah, so I think like this is kind of a weird mechanism for the legacy game because it is so hard your first time through to make any decisions here, right? It almost feels like you can't make a decision because you don't know what's coming. Like yep. there are just like little tiny heuristics I was playing with in, in my first games, right? Like where it's like, okay, well, I should probably put this tree next to other trees so that now i have like a larger space to like avoid or rocks next to other rocks so i can cover them both with a single tile placement that stuff's pretty obvious and i think it gets you pretty far for most cases but to the extent that it is fun to play this game the campaign game multiple times i do think improvement is possible here right and how you cultivate your board based on what you know and what you know is to come though you know, how interested I am in like gaining a proficiency at playing the campaign game, like online on board game arena a bunch of times and like creating the best board, not interested in playing that game. But I I think that is like a way players could separate themselves from campaign to campaign. Yeah. And I think it's sort of designed with the idea in mind that players will make some mistakes with their stickers. And if they do, uh, then they'll have an opportunity to add a bunch more trees as future stickers and it'll sort of balance itself out. And campaign games generally are not designed for multiple plays, plays. right? So because you're putting stickers on your board, like the most you could play this with one box is twice. Yeah. And even then takes like a little bit of doing, I think. Yeah. So back that like board game arena now, it's awesome that this game is on there. I'm so happy uh, that it is, but you know, it's kind of like maybe a little bit of like a bastard bastardization of the game as designed to be like sure treated as like, you know, like, is there going to be like a My City Arena season where people are just like playing the campaign over and over against each other? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Interesting. Should we uh, should we keep chugging along through these chapters? Yeah, let's shake? do it. And I don't think we'll have to spend as much time on all this. We're sort of talking about some of the meta stuff within them. But yeah, let's let's get to chapter two. Agreed. Especially because some of these early chapters, I think there's meatier stuff to dig into at the end, probably. But chapter two is The Churches. So this is episode four through six. And it's really like introducing another sort of fundamental aspect of My City, right? It introduces the three base churches, the square church, uh, the... L church and the no that's not right Jake it's like the little Z church the X church and the you know the other basic church what is it I thought there were four churches already at the start no because they add the special church oh the two by one is not that's a special one that's yeah, what yeah. It gets. so it's just it. the square the L and the, the Z. reverse Z yeah the yep. reverse L and the reverse Z and the square which I will say when I first played this, you know, it's so exciting seeing that finally you see their mirror image of yeah, all the building like, sites. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You f- you get that premise delivery and it feels great. So I think the churches, right, you'd finally feel like you are having a sense of, you're finding your footing with the contiguous color scoring, I think by the end of game three. So it's nice that the churches get introduced at this point to kind of add a wrinkle to that puzzle, add a little bit more tension to the game with the passing rules. Um, and... Yeah, I don't know. I think the as far as learning to play my city and the game challenging challenging you a little bit, the churches are so good at sort of saying, okay, maybe you've been taking it a little bit easy with the way that you've placed, been placing the puzzles. I'm going to challenge you to push a little bit further and get better at the puzzle. And I think they're actually really effective at that. I think that before they're introduced, you don't have to do as much planning. Yeah, uh, it forces you to plan. Yeah, and I, it, it's a better game when you're planning. You just are thinking more about the implications of your decisions, which makes it more fun. Yeah, agreed. I, are there anything else on this, which is literally just... Well, well I guess maybe we go into game six, right? The one with no passing or the one where the alternative churches get introduced? Okay, sorry. I'm I'm jumping ahead. Let's Let's take it one at a time. Okay. Well, let's just say really quickly, maybe we can talk about those alternative church shapes because right away after that first game, everyone gets a unique church to themselves, which we kind of alluded at earlier and we're kind of like fumbling through, which is one person's going to end up with a square church. One person in a multiplayer game might get a three L shaped one. So just like a, you know, one on top, one down below and then one to the right. Uh, so a oh, nice little flexible piece. Like a triangle almost. A tri- yeah, yeah. And then one person gets the two-by-one church, like the the little amazing hole filler church that yeah. I've never gotten to play with ever. 
I always end up with that I, one. Oh, so I always end up with the square. So maybe we could talk a little bit about that. So I think it's fun that you each get this unique piece, but I will say always it's like so annoying having to have this big chunky square church to deal with. Yeah, it's and it's a weird thing too because all of a sudden the implications of the winner or loser of this one specific game has Feels so ma- meaningful. massive ripples throughout the rest of your campaign. Yeah. To where I, you know, again, right? Like if you wanted to meta game this, it's kind of a disaster because literally you might be like the most you're going to get is two progress points, which every time you win a game in the campaign you get two progress points and that's kind of the progress is the end game winning condition who has the most progress. So the most you're getting is two progress, but at the cost of a significant disadvantage for the rest of the campaign here. So if you know that's coming in, it probably, you know, I'll go on a limb here. It's probably right to lose this episode. It's probably right. And I think that, you know, when I was listening to those, that interview, Jake, that we pulled from for some of the history and the part one episode, uh, Kinesia sort of says, and this is his classic line, right? That winning is the objective, but it's not the point. And I think that that comes through really clearly in the campaign design of my city, of of my city, because I think that ultimately, like you just said, the game assumes that you don't fully know the implications of some of the round end rewards, yeah, you're and you're not going to gamify it, and that you're going to try to win. Exactly, yeah. and, that, and I think that's that fine. would be my like magical circle of playing this game in the future anyway would be yep. like we're all trying to win all the games or else what's the point yep um but i do think that quote is confounded a bit by the fact that what is the goal here is it winning an individual game or is it winning the campaign yeah yeah no totally and i think right it's it's sort of i think for me the goal became just to have fun like to have the best possible campaign experience and to really care who would win but not to really really care who would win right yeah um and i think that the campaign does a lot to keep things even and close maybe artificially so somewhat but also not totally artificially so you know there's a little bit of rubber banding with some of the catch-up mechanisms but there's also some real mechanical shakeups that we'll talk about soon that i think give players maybe if there's a, a player in the lead who's better with the first puzzle sort of core puzzle but not with the second a real chance at coming back and i've seen that multiple times in my plays of the campaign but i do want to highlight the other little sticker that you add to your board that you get to enhance one of the churches in this round potentially, um, which to score five points instead of three points, uh, allowing you to specialize a little bit. I believe that comes in episode five, I think is a really good twist too. It's fun to kind of have a church that's worth a little bit more to you and to have one that you're going to specialize in. And it signposts a little bit to the player to help players a little bit more kind of say, okay, this is my priority. And we don't see that in the eternal game. And I like that it's here in the campaign. Again, thinking about how you can help someone learn effectively. That's a really good way of just saying this one's your priority. It probably doesn't matter which one is you can pick, but one of them should be. Yeah. I like that too. Um, And it, it was fun. I think it was one with you and I put it on my plus shaped church, yeah. which was really hard to use. Yep. But at the same time, because it's oddly shaped, it's very easy to have it like connected to a bunch of different colors once it's down. Yep. So, you know, that did create an interesting texture to the way I was playing the game that was different from you. Yeah. Awesome. I love that. So much of my city feels like it just makes the game different, not better or better or worse of the decisions you're making, right? Of how you're augmenting your own personal experience of it, um, right. which is cool. I like that. I think that probably does it for us on chapter two, the church. Let's talk about the no passing game okay. because this is a motif that shows up at the end of lots of episodes Yep. or, um, or chapters, which is that you play the third game in this chapter without passing, right? If you pass, you lose. And that just creates a fun, fast playing, but also much more random and less determinative experience. Yep. And tense conclusion. Yeah. Why do you think these are added here, if you had to guess? Huh. If I had to guess why they added the no passing role, I think that there's a lot done to ensure that the flow of both chapters individually and also sort of like mini segments of... uh, different sets of chapters like episode chapters one and two together have this interesting arc and interesting conclusion and i think that in some cases outside of wanting to add new mechanisms this is a great way of ensuring that everyone at the table will kind of have an exciting play and 
Knizia also clearly wants to level the playing field. And like you said, this does that to some extent just because it is a little bit more random. So it's a, it's a family game. It's a way to ensure maybe that you get to have a really exciting play. Maybe where someone who hasn't won a game yet gets to win. What yeah, do you think if you had to guess? I think that it makes a ton of sense, especially the fact that you're building in, you know, balance to this game, right? Yeah. If somebody's winning a lot, the other person's board is is becoming more scorable sure. than the other person's and this does reduce the gap between skill even greater i think it you know it makes it more likely that the person with the more scorable board is going to win the game than when just played regularly i think that's a plus and the other thing that's really interesting that you mentioned that i hadn't thought about was just that this changes the tempo of the yeah. play in a really fun way so you know even if these games aren't my favorite part of the campaign right like they're a poorer design like when we're thinking about our like game critics decision space hats right i wouldn't want that to be this whole game yeah because it's just more random not as much fun decision making but it, it can be a, a worse game design but also do something really good for yeah. the overall arc of the legacy game i hadn't thought about that i think that's interesting and i i I think it makes a lot of sense. It strikes me too, Jake, that it's also, it's nice to have it included here where players up to this point, there might be a piece that they've realized they just like to pass on, right? I don't like to place that U shape. It's really tough and it always messes up my board. So I'm just going to pass on it. And this forces you to try to make it work, which is going to be a, a learning opportunity. And I think that that's important too. He's right. He's, it's another example of he's thinking about how can I help people learn to place these pieces better? And one answer is... You have to place them. You don't. You can't avoid the problem. Yeah, and, and, and the game is shifting each episode just a little bit, though. Yep. But when you sit down, you're like, "I'm playing a legacy game." You don't want every game to feel the same. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yep. And I think that these also just do a really good job of making things not feel samey. Totally. Right. This episode, no matter what, is going to feel a lot different from the other ones, and it's also just kind of nice. Uh, from like a rules perspective that like oh i got to open this episode and we're just playing with no new rules besides this one thing yep totally you know it's just taking a rule out actually yeah that's like kind of a nice thing as players like oh we know exactly what to do let's get it going absolutely and then it gives you nice momentum heading into the third chapter which is the flood um which really shakes things up for the first time uh because the flood establishes that you can no longer build on the left side of the board, you can only build on the right side of the board going forwards. So this is, I was shocked the first time I read this. I was like, oh, this is a brilliant shakeup. We'll see how this goes. And the answer is, is that it just makes for lots of really fast games. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it doesn't quite cut the board in half, but you're maybe playing with like a two thirds yep. size board of what you were playing with before. Um, and I mean, what that does too is again, right? It makes these games in this chapter three, particularly random, right? I think this is the most random feeling portion of the game. Yeah. Um, especially in that, you know, the the first one and two, right? Where, where you can't build on the tree spaces yet. Yep. And you get, but you're forced to the first time not start on the river, you're starting on the sawmill, which is kind of placing the sawmill piece. I was really excited because this is the first time, you know, Jake, you start a game of my city and the, your legacy board is so, there's a, some, all these blank spaces uh, on the left side and the bottom side. So there's so much potential. And I think the game is really good at sort of having that carrot of potential in front of you. And this is one of the first times that you really augment your board. Like the well is just a one by one sticker, but the sawmill is like this big chunk of stuff that you're placing on the bottom that kind of shakes things up. And I, I was really excited to see that change. I will say I don't love playing my city starting at the sawmill. So you start in the bottom right side of the board. It just, yeah. it it hurts the feel of the game. It, yeah. Well, it, I, and what's the point of that? It, it Right. It just arbitrarily it, shrinks the decision space. Yeah. It's like a thematic thing yep. that doesn't add anything to the it's you know maybe the one thing that's there almost that feels almost like purely thematic yeah um and it does feel like a very slight detriment to the play what i found in the first two episodes but really this whole chapter overall is that my games came down very often to like because you can't or because you have like limited space i guess the can't pass ones are like this too um that the way you're sort of forced to 
place your board is making a lot of concessions. Yeah. So it just kind of comes down to towards the end of, of the deck, right? Oh, there's like one piece that I can use that's going to like fill up all this space. And I kind of have like the math works out that I have to keep passing till I get it. Yeah. If it comes up in the first half of the deck, I'm going to win. And if not, I'm going to lose. And that just doesn't feel fun. I agree. Yeah. Right? It, it's like hitting you over the head without random. Yep. And it, like you're saying, it emphasizes it much more here. But in game number nine, you get this special twist that, oh, those forest spaces you were never able to build on, all of a sudden you can build on them. And I think that that's another nice example of what you were talking about before, Jake, with this sort of like tempo shift. It also adds that you can't pass at this point in time. So it's a nice tension release and it makes for a longer finale uh, to this chapter, can juxtaposed with the church chapter that had this much shorter potential finale. And I, I like that. It, it just, it keeps the flow a little bit different and it's exciting to be able to place on the forest spaces for the first time um, to have the board kind of open up a bit more. And it's interesting though, because you don't, you don't gain anything for doing it at this point and you don't lose anything for not yeah. doing it. So it's like uh, the first neutral spaces spaces completely. Yeah. I'm l- looking at it. Like the decision space is always going to be a waning decision space in this game. But like, the, again, looking at like the dynamics of the chapter, like the flood chapter actually has kind of a waxing arc, right? Arc. The, yeah. the board starts small and it builds up over yeah. the course of it, which is kind of neat. Yeah. I would say this is a good memorable moment, but it's not my favorite chapter. Yeah. Yeah. No. I so think it's yeah again it's it's like a nice tempo beat that probably maybe helps the campaign overall but when you're playing it again like with our game critic hats on you kind of realize like okay we're definitely playing an inferior version of this game right now totally yeah which interestingly okay we we're doing we clearly like we like talking about all these little implications but i think we got to speed it up if we're going to get through all this and have time at the end for more topics to discuss but <laughs> We're going into the gold rush, chapter four. And I think that what you just said, Jake, is also true of the gold rush, right? It's a it's a memorable chapter that introduces this metagame mechanic. But beyond player that, Player interaction for the first time. A, yeah, the lightest version of player interaction. <laughs> pursuit of a, a shared mutual, uh, mutual exclusive objective. Yeah. Um, so, and it, the first part of the, the campaign metagame coming into play of, do I sacrifice my pursuit of winning this game? to pursue getting these gold nuggets in my gold cabinet for the first time. Um, and, you know, what do, what do you think of this chapter and mechanism, Jake? I, it's a weird one. Like Jake's because, like angrily shaking his head right now, like aggravatedly yeah, not able to quite get there. The, the thing with the gold vein is, as we discussed in part one, where it's yeah. almost always a good idea to go for it. Like, it feels like, you know, far be it from me to criticize Rhino Kniz, but it feels like the design is telling us that going for these is disadvantage is a disadvantage. Oh, like you're sure. sacrificing a lot to go for them. When in reality, I don't think that is true yeah. in my experience. So it's yeah, you just go for them and you could still win the round and get double benefits. This is another thing where like on a intellectual level i feel like i find lots of reasons to criticize it and then when i'm playing the game and i put the sticker down on the progress symbol token where i get to fill in three I'm like yeah that was really fun <laughs> you know <laughs> like if i've collected good. enough gold it's just like a good dopamine hit yeah. very enjoyable so it, i think it's it's here for a good reason but ultimately at the end of the day it's just not exciting as a mechanism it, and it also is an uh an a mechanism where you feel the randomness too, because if yeah. both players are going for the gold veins or all the players in the game as, as they should, in my estimation, more often than not, it's going to come down to like, based on whatever path you went yeah. towards, like does the tile come up that fits with your kind of infrastructure that you can get into like wedge into the corner at the top, right. Totally. Or not. Right. Like, yeah. Oh, it's a T block. So that works for me. And, and not for Brendan or like, you know, it could have been a, you know, a U shape that's going to work for Brendan, not for me. Yep. This, this chapter, I do like how it introduces an, in that you get an incentive for covering up the forest, which is that you also, if you cover the whole forest, get a gold nugget. Uh, it's fun to have these little extras sort of sprinkled in. Yeah. And I think that it's just like an excuse to put a sticker on my board, which a little is nice. achievement. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Okay. So then there's this big, uh shake up yeah then things go really crazy yeah 
So this is chapter 10, chapter 5, not chapter 10, the factories. So contiguous color scoring goes away. You get an even bigger sticker where you like cover up the sawmill and the lowest right four spaces. You don't get to start at 10 points anymore. You start at zero. And the investor is added to the game. This neat little meeple that me- you use to track which tile you mo- you previously placed because you get points now for placing next to tiles you've previously placed. I think this is by far the most important mechanical uh, shakeup in the game. Yeah, totally. I'm going to be really uh, vulnerable and honest here. It wasn't that long ago that we played this campaign. I completely forgot about the investor. Oh, really? Yeah, like I just, I remember the factories, did not remember the investor mechanism at all. So interesting. I think that, I mean, I think that tells you a lot about what this campaign experience is like. Yeah. Which is that I had a really good time doing this new shift on the puzzle, right? Playing, it creates a really great tension between, you know, playing adjacent to your previously placed tile and, you know, playing to, you know, a better, you know, doing a better job with the actual spatial puzzle of fitting tiles in neatly. Uh, you know, and not leaving open spaces or not leaving rocks and all that. I found that like a really great tension uh, and enjoyed doing it. But, you know, not n- nothing stood out in the memory banks, I guess, enough to like form a strong memory of this. I think that this mechanism is a great example of a mechanism that does a lot of good work in terms of the decision space, but isn't exciting at all, which is why you didn't yeah. really remember it, right? It creates such a different play experience than the contiguous colors rule where you're really planning and trying to separate and get pieces in the right spaces here it's like you said it's all about making concessions just getting pieces on the board usually i find i was making a big mess with the investor trying to kind of maximize what's there and it's really interesting sort of going back and playing the investor a second time also i found the person who's the best at the contiguous colors uh scoring in the early part of the game is probably going to be over pursuing that goal because they've been really good at it, which creates this natural catch-up mechanism because I've seen it twice in, in two campaigns, right? Once with Maya, once with you, Jake, where one of us was doing really well with contiguous colors and then the investor gets introduced and then the other person starts winning a bunch and sort of streaking on the other player. And I think that's really brilliant. And it's one of the sort of the biggest design takeaways for me in a legacy game with what's here, because if you get something close to a different game in the campaign from what's like the core experience of my city or like the eternal game, it's this and it's fun and it's different and it's not as good. I don't think like I I prefer to not play with the investor. It's a little Mm -hmm. fiddly having to sort of track and move every time. It's easy to forget every once in a while, but it's fun. And I like having the shakeup of in terms of kind of inverting the decisions that are there. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's cool that, you know, I guess this is as close as it comes to playing a different game um, within the campaign, which is neat. But I think there's a reason why the Eternal game doesn't, doesn't include go this. with the investor. It yeah. goes with the contiguous scoring, color yeah, scoring. Absolutely. And then in games, in game 14, uh, the T-shape factory and the three by one factory tiles. So just like the the line that's three tiles in a row get introduced both of those tiles are like a wonderful addition i would say exciting to have those added to your tile set the board became a little bit bigger when we got to cover up some of the forest the idea being that we've like you know totally uh, deforested to build these factories and it's nice having a little bit more room to work the factory mechanism in general jake is is an interesting one for a campaign because i find that it's actually kind of hard to maximize the payout potentially. And so it's you're trying to separate as opposed to everything you've been doing previously. That's like putting yep. like things together here now with the factories, you want them to be not touching. together. Yeah. Yeah. And it's tough at first. Yeah. You kind of have to practice it. <laughs> yeah. It is funny. Like I'm hearing you say in the, like in the last part about like how a different player is likely to do well here like that this game is really like teaching skills yeah and then it's pivoting right and rewarding other skills i i mean i think that is ambitious and maybe uh and, and maybe like a little charitable for hmm. for me like i don't i don't think that there's like a fundamentally different skill set like to me this is all tile placement it's all spatial reasoning it's all planning in advance and like kind of like envisioning what's going to fit where. Um, 
So I guess that's my take too, but I, I can't deny the experience that you've had. I think some of it for me, Jake, is that the decisions that the investor pushes become so much more about concessions around, is it worth it to place this tile next to the tile that I just placed, even though it's not exactly the shape that I want, will it be worth it for one point? And that's a different decision than just sort of laying into the decision sort of puzzle. I'd be curious to see what listeners, if they had a similar experience with like that, the people who are losing starting to win at this point and kind of unpicking that with them. Um, but yeah, maybe I am being charitable. I'm known to be charitable to doctors in the past. Yeah. All right. Let's continue on. So are you ready to go on to chapter six? Absolutely. The mine. So the mine is a section of the game where it starts the whole campaign up to this point. You've had these rocks up on the top left or, or not top left, the left side of your board that you can't really do anything with. Uh, and now we have opened them up as mines and it kind of returns to contiguous color scoring again. Yeah. But instead of just having colors anywhere on your board, you need the colors to be adjacent to the opening of specific mine shafts. So there's like a blue mine shaft. And then in episode 17, a red mine shaft opens. And then episode 18, you have blue, red, and yellow mine shafts. And on top of that, the game is also tracking how well you do each episode for sort of like like a scoring track that kind of continues between games that's going to give you certain benefits once you've uh, you know made it far enough on on the blue mine track you'll get some progress symbols and gold nuggets and and whatever maybe a factory augmentation maybe a track there's like yeah. a, a little spoiler of uh the future mechanisms which i kind of like it, sh- it dangles it in front of you and it's like don't worry about this um what do you think of this of, of the mines jake do you like this chapter yeah i had a ton of fun doing this i think part of the fun is that you're like you don't have it's the investor the investor is still there, right? Yeah, the, for this, this chapter point, and chapter six, the investor is still here. Yeah, yeah. so I do think I think it creates like it even heightens that tension, right? Where yep. it's, now it's not just about the investor versus doing the best job of the tiling puzzle. It's like the investor versus the mines. Yeah, but the the challenge here is like as a person going through the campaign, it's kind of impossible to know like what should I be prioritizing. Yeah, I just went super heavy in, into the mines because like I think that was the the puzzle that. I had less or I was just like more enthusiastic about pursuing or maybe I was better at because I had like already gained that skill set. Yeah. Um, But like, again, it's like, to what extent is that actually like a decision I'm making versus a kind of, you know, just a random choice. And it also gets into that tension of like to win this game versus to win the overall game. Right. Where it seems like perhaps the mines are better for the campaign scoring at the end of the day, whereas like the investor is the way to win each individual episode. Yeah. And I will say we both played the campaigns at two player uh, always throughout. And mm-hmm. I think that that changes it somewhat just based on some of the rewards uh, with progress symbols for winning and that sort of thing. But I like the mines. I, I don't I didn't love. I think that they make the decisions almost too complex for me uh by chapter three where you have the yellow mine the red mine and the blue mine and the investor to think about and the implications of what tracks you might get to and if i in some of the sort of series right if i don't get to a payoff of one of the rewards on the track by crossing them off uh that's fine unless jake gets to it and then i'll never have a chance to get to it again so i'm kind of having to watch your board and watch my board and it's a lot it's not bad um but i think i'm glad that it doesn't overstay its welcome i will say to me i don't think the game gets too complex here but when we get into chapter seven the railroad that's when i think things are like what is what is going on so let's talk about it so we drop the investor at this point we want to fill in the bottom row for points now instead since we still start at zero i think that twist in itself is a really big shakeup to the game right because you're you're making interesting concession type decisions here around do i just fill it all in because you get rewards for filling in the full bottom row or do i want to maximize points and place these pieces vertically so just one tile is touching the bottom uh then you add this whole other track oh my god jake tracks on tracks on tracks since the mines are basically tracks i think at this point it's like i was a little bit like we have too many tracks in this game like please please let me go can we go back to chapter one please (laughs) free me from the tracks I And then you had the ports. I do like the port mechanism. This You're trying to connect the little port city up in the top all the way down to the railroad at the bottom with a contiguous group of colors. Um, and you're still doing the mines uh, throughout part of this, I believe. 
And I think yeah, that, I think the, so. yeah, game 21, the last of this chapter is the final chapter with the mines. Uh, so the mines stick around for a bit. I think it's kind of like zany. It's a little bit much and it's hard to know what to focus on. It's, it's fine. I like sticking the big stickers on, but yeah, too many tracks at this point for me. Right. It, it does. It feels like this is the first time for me, the game kind of like dips out of being awesome. a light game. Oh, sure. That you too. know, yeah. it's still, I mean, it's not like, I wouldn't even say it's like medium, but it's like medium light type of thing. You know yeah. what I mean? And that's not what you want with this game. Yeah. In my mind. Agreed. Uh, you know, because it, it's just like, okay, we still have the exact same core. We're flipping over cards to get tiles, but it's just a big, huge mess um, on top of mechanisms on top of that. And also it's just hard to learn too, which is a drag on for legacy games in general, right? Yeah where it's like, okay, here's more rules and here's more rules. And I think the game does such a good job of avoiding that feeling like a slog and all other parts of the game. But it definitely took me a little bit of like doing to, in your help to figure out like what is even happening. Like it, yeah. it kind of ground our campaign to a halt because we, we were playing asynchronously online and you're like, do you understand this? And I was reading the rules and looking at the little tiny rule sheet that the game gives you and, and I had to type in the chat like i do not understand this like <laughs> we, yeah. like we need to like explain this to me the first time playing through this game jack i feel like at this point i was pretty done with the campaign like i was frustrated playing the railroad chapter obviously i came back around and played it two more times so it didn't last um but i think if the campaign drags at any point it's dragging during the railroad section quite a bit um because of that blow a little bit and maybe what it's asking of you. And there's just not a lot of time for the different different mechanisms to sort of sort of prove their worth. Like the railroad and the way it impacts the decisions you make, the sort of impact of the rules complexity to the interesting outcome in terms of the decision space, that ratio is so skewed compared to like the investor or even the well in some ways, right? And you start to feel it and it, yeah, it holds it back a little bit. Yeah, the other weird thing is so once you complete the railroad, you get to, if you're the first person to complete your full bottom road, then you get to add, go an extra space on the yep. railroad where everybody who completes it gets to go one space on the railroad. And this is, again, another track that gives you some benefits. And there's a little bit of interactivity here because once somebody claims a benefit on the track by using, you know, not just pers- go, I don't even know how to describe this in audio format, but you can kind of like use a railroad segment to claim a benefit instead of advance your track further down the road and once somebody's claimed any of those benefits it's not available to any other players which is cool like in theory okay so a little more interactivity but i found in our play of it it was sort of like it didn't matter and it was just also kind of obvious right it's like i can take this benefit so i do take this right benefit to take it away from my opponent there's a few little instances too where maybe you're in a position where you have to get more gold so the only way to get more gold at this point in the game, right, is to pursue just getting uh, getting the gold-dealing railroad spot in some cases. And it's like, okay, I'm just going to pursue down the railroad and until I can get the gold that's going to let me fill in the four progress symbols and Jake's not going to stop me because he'll probably snatch up all these little rewards and all of a sudden it doesn't feel as interactive again. Yeah. And it, yeah. It, it, this is a sort of, as we look ahead, we'll talk about my island in the future. I think... I hope I don't see a mechanism like the railroad included again there. It's just a little too clunky. It doesn't quite do enough. Yeah. And it feels like for that sort of like tension to exist between like, do I take this benefit or like go past it to maybe get better ones down the line? Yeah. Like it would, it takes like more iterations than just three episodes totally. almost. Right. Like we would need to be getting way more and also like it be clearer how many you'd get total. Cause you also don't know what's going to happen. Like you don't know, is this going away at the end of the chapter? Is it going to keep going through the yep. end of the game? Uh, so it, it's like, because that you, you don't have that foresight available to you and what's going to happen anyway, it, it even reduces the kind of agency you have to make decisions further. Yeah. A hundred percent. Totally agree, Jake. But I think that brings us to chapter eight, which is prosperity games, 22 to through 24. This is a wild chapter in a lot of ways. Uh, So the first thing it does is it gets rid of everyone's blue buildings that don't have factory stickers, which means that you have fundamentally different tile sets because players who have been losing throughout all of these, a lot of these previous games have been adding these blue factory stickers to some of their tiles. 
so this is dramatically sort of changes the tiles you're playing with in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't again though. I didn't even really note like when you're playing it, you just are still playing your game. So you yes, are. you have a different tile set, but I, like, how meaningful is that really that you have a different tile set? I think it is meaningful sometimes in the amount of affordances you can make with certain decisions. But I agree, it's like at the end of the day, it's not huge. It's not hugely impacting because red gets so emphasized as a color here because of the palaces and parks rule. You're trying to essentially create these empty spaces where you fully in red surrounded in a light green square in which you get to add a tree to it uh, that will stay on your board forever. So you score a point. And then you also cover up the the rocks and you're told that, oh, all of a sudden there's going to be some end game bonuses with progress symbols. So the player who has the most gold nuggets, the player who has the most trees, and the fewest rocks is going to get some progress symbols, which those are designed in such a way based on the payoff of rewards throughout the entire game that they probably won't all be the same player. Uh, so it's again, it's just trying to give a little bit something for everyone and to keep people excited throughout. Yeah, it's a weird one, right? Because... So, so will you go over those endgame bonuses one more time? Yeah, if you scroll down in the notes, I've included them there. But the player who has the most gold nuggets will get two progress symbols. The player with the most trees gets two prog- progress symbols. And the player who has the fewest rocks gets two progress symbols. And then there's additional rules for a multiplayer campaign. Yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, the, the gold nugget ones make sense to me. The trees and the rocks ones, I don't think I like because... Again, it just goes down like so much of that comes down to that first chapter, which is when like a lot of these were being delivered or the first couple chapters. And it just seems like the rocks is just punishing people for succeeding. Right. Because if you win the game, which should be the goal, you have to add a rock to your board. Yeah. And if you lose, so it just feels like a ham fisted catch up mechanism. You do have some agency to cover up rocks in this chapter, I think, right? If you fully surround a rock with a palace with red spaces, you can cover it up. Um, but I agree. It does feel like kind of a ham-fisted. It's as close to like a ham-fisted catch-up mechanism as there is in this game. And, and it's, for it to come in like the very end surprise! of the game. Surprise! Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's, yeah. I feel like like the I enjoyed the campaign. You know, it was a good legacy game experience. The only time I've ever you know, done a legacy game multiple times, though probably that's a hundred percent only because it's available on board game arena. You know, if other yeah, yeah, legacy if games were there, yeah. perhaps I would be more willing to do those multiple times as well. So I don't know if that's a credit to my city, the design. Um, but I do feel like it kind of goes out with a whimper here. The I, I really enjoyed mm. the palaces and parks mechanism. I think that's a fun aspect of the game and I, I enjoyed that puzzle. But then it's just kind of over. I think a lot of games will be decided by this point anyway, right? Because mm. somebody's just like a little too far ahead. It sounds like in our Discord, that's how uh, quite a few people's campaigns went, where it was clear who was winning the campaign or not already going into the last couple games, which is too bad. And I don't know. if To me, it felt like it, it just made the tempo, right? Like we didn't like the railroads because it was too crazy. But yeah, then to like have the complexity now just like reduced a lot for the last part, but maybe not really enough agency left to determine the outcome. It, it's I mean it's a tough balance to strike because you want everything to be meaningful. You don't want it just come down to like last game wins or whatever. But I don't know that there's any easy solutions here. I agree with you, Jake. And though I do feel like it, it's done, it tries to like gesture at this idea that even though the game is probably close to be decided. It gives you some tools, right? By adding the ability for players to add new trees to their board, they're going to have a potential to earn some more of these points. And if they can cover up rocks, maybe they'll make even more progress towards that. So if it's close, it's going to give you enough tools that if you play really well, you have a chance of coming back. I think it's maybe not quite as much as I wish it was, but I see the design work to kind of get it there. I will say that the final game where you cannot build on top of trees, if you were talking about the progress symbols being a surprise, that's a complete surprise um, that makes for a really challenging final game. It's fun. Thank goodness it doesn't come back again. And I sort of wish it wasn't a surprise, but it's shocking. It's kind of memorable. I don't know. What do you think of that mechanism being the way that we close out the campaign? Yeah, I mean, I think it's fine. I, yeah. I don't have strong feelings about it one way or another, to be honest. 
I know that's like that's, a really crappy podcast take, but <laughs> no, I think that's fine because I think so much of this moment right at the end of the game is trying to just let the the game build to a, a meaningful conclusion, not to add any new rules. Like it is a new rule, but it's a variation, right? It's just, it's just a don't, it's not adding a new mechanism. I should say it's not, it's a new rule, but not a new mechanism. And I think that it's kind of just trying to give room now for the campaign to really come to the forefront, uh, to have an exciting moment. And the first time I play this Jake at this point, you know, I've invested my and I together. We've probably invested out seven, eight hours together playing playing these games over and over. And I will say, you know, I didn't care who won. My heart was pounding in this last game because it was really close. I think I had a really early lead in our campaign. Then Maya came back and got ahead of me, and then I had the potential to come come back and beat her in this. So I really was feeling it. I was sweating. Uh, I make decisions a little bit more quickly than she does. So every turn, I sort of place it and then be stressed for a moment um and i think that it just it's this awesome culmination probably which is really a function of the the structure overall of legacy games i don't think it has anything to do with this final chapter itself i think it's just that one of the real strengths of legacy games is that it allows you to invest all this time which makes you care even more about the outcome and that really comes to the forefront when you're playing with someone physically together on the table uh and i really enjoyed that moment it was memorable for the sort of emotional rise that it got out of us uh, yeah. ultimately i think she ended up winning after tiebreakers which was wow. even more exciting that's awesome um important i guess to know is that my play of the full campaign was online so i haven't actually had that experience of like finishing it on the table yeah and, you know maybe that is a sufficiently different experience there too maybe that could be i wonder i wonder if your heart would have been pounding at the table playing finishing it with bridget who could say but yeah. I, jake i guess reflecting do you feel like you know this met, metagame system of these progress symbols and uh when you win a game you're gonna get some of these progress symbols do you feel like this is that it works well or works well enough i think i fall into the camp of it works well enough where it's sort of you know we had talked a little bit how it's expecting players to want to win each game and it's making the assumption that they will and i think that's great i would love to see some iterations on this mechanism in the follow-up my island to not have it be part and parcel exactly the same i do think there's room for innovation and improvement here you know i gleaned an amazing experience from it but i think there's some something close to the there's some cheap tricks that are going on here uh with filling in box little symbols and you get them for x or you get them for y and you don't know they're coming that kind of pull it together in a way that works really well and left me with a great experience but not one that i think would have legs multiple more times physically on the table yeah i think a better version of this game is definitely possible the issue with the progress tokens for me is just this idea of the competition of priorities between winning the campaign and winning the game and not really knowing what is worth what you know, who knows? Maybe in an episode three, progress symbols are give you a major benefit, right? Or all of a sudden games are worth four progress symbols each. You know, you, you have no idea what's going to happen. And I think part of the effect of that going through the game is a little bit like when you sit down to learn a board game and somebody's like, oh, we'll just... Uh, We'll just start playing and kind of like we'll explain like the scoring and, and some of the other rules as they come up as we get into it. And that can be fine for some people and other people, not so much. Um, but it's definitely that effect, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we've heard that in feedback from people in the decision space community that this mechanism is incredibly frustrating for some people where people at the table are getting rewards for things that no one even knew were coming. And I think that, like you just said, that's, that's really fair. So hopefully in my island, there's a little bit of iteration there. And I think it, it comes down to a little bit of player trust. You know, this is trying to nail that light legacy campaign game experience, and it does that. But I think just amping up how much you give in terms of what's coming could be really beneficial. And certainly it would have been play tested that way to some extent, right? Players would have been used to what was coming if they play tested it multiple times. Yeah. But do you think the campaign's the right length, Jake? I would, yeah, I was looking at that question and thinking about it. I think... I think six chapters would be fine. Yeah, I was going to say. I think maybe just like a touch too long. And that, maybe that comes down to like, if, if we loved the railroad, right? We thought we that was awesome, then yeah. we might feel differently about it. But I think those those two could have gone. Maybe like chapter four and five have to do with mines and the investor. And then 
chapter six is kind of more of like a transition back to the eternal game or something like that. Yeah. But I, for me, you know, I was really feeling like, I, I think six chapters would be great. Even 21 games, seven chapters feels like a, a sweet spot to me. It, it dragged for me by the end of the 24. Just, I think that the weight of the puzzle uh, it works so well and it allows you to iterate to sort of add these new mechanisms and take mechanisms away in a really beautiful way that keeps it fresh. But ultimately by the end, it just had overstayed its welcome a little bit. And it's so funny, Jake, that we're having this conversation. Because you know, last episode, we were so excited about My City, and I think we still are. We're kind of being more critical than I expected us to be about the Legacy game. And I think that that's because it's easy to criticize these individual components and individual games as you experience them. But the sum of all these pieces does come together and combine to be something so magnificent that it's easy to forgive it for some of its smaller transgressions where it doesn't quite land its mark. Uh, and I think that's a brilliant thing about the way that it's presented and the design overall. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't uh, disagree with you there. It, it is interesting we're being really critical, but like still playing the game is fun. And, yeah. I, you know, so much of why I like playing board games is discovery, right? I, I, I'm somebody who's much more inclined to play a new game uh, on a game night than one I love just because, well, what's this about, you know? Yeah. So I don't think you can really understate the joy of just like playing eight new games, right? Yeah. If each chapter is, is its new game, like within one, that's adding a ton of value to me, even if they aren't that different. It's still fun to like explore and have those experiences and try them out and think like, oh, do I like this? Do I not like this? Like all of that is something that's adding a ton of value to me. Yeah. Uh, and I think the question of like, is this too long? Again, it's like such a double-edged sword because it's really hard pressed to say like, there's too much content in this box. Yeah, yeah it's a funny right? thing to say. Yeah. Like when we're, when we're, you know, when we are, uh, you know, paying money for this. And I guess like, sure, like maybe if they have two less envelopes and components, then it could cost like 35 bucks, 35 yeah. instead of 40 or something. Yeah. And I think that would be better, but also like, you know, there, I mean, so much of that is just like market forces. Right. Yep. And, and maybe it couldn't. Yeah. We don't know the full story of the development, right? Maybe yeah. he came to, you know, uh, Kinesia came to Cosmos with six chapters and they were like, oh, like, well, with like our market research, like blah, blah, blah. Like we're yeah. only going to like we know that people want typically more. want their campaigns to last 10 hours or, yeah. or whatever. Totally. Uh, so. So interesting. Well, I will say, Jake, I'm really curious to hear your thoughts because having finished the first campaign, we sort of said, that was amazing. I really enjoyed this game. I'm so glad I played it, but I have no interest in my island. Then I went on and played the Eternal game a ton. I played the campaign two more times. And now I'm very excited for my island, which is a follow-up game designed by Kinesia coming out in 2023 that uses hexagonal shapes, uh, hexagonal tiles instead of square ones. So they're like hexaminos, I guess. Um, and the it uses a similar board and a similar envelope system. And it looks like you're trying to create contiguous groups of these different colors and symbols. Uh, so just a nice little twist. And I will say there's not a ton that I know about it beyond that, but I'm very excited to check out my island. And I'm glad that he's returned to the system, especially because when I checked out the interview, he said he was done with campaign games. So clearly uh, the success of my, my city bolstered him uh, and he's back for more. Yeah, totally, man. I'm I will eagerly anticipate the release of this game. Something I've been thinking about a lot with games in general is like, what games do you want to like play over and over and again? And what games is just like, I just I got you know I went to the movies, I saw that, and it was a great time. I don't need to yeah. own it. I don't need to see that movie a bunch more. But like, I still really enjoyed that experience. And I feel like my city kind of nails both, right? Yeah, it does nail like, both. Like you so get funny. like the campaign. You've like I had a great time seeing that movie. I don't need to do it again. Um, the, the Eternal, Eternal game. game, I think, is fantastic. Like this is a great gateway game to have in my collection, and I look forward to showing it to a bunch of people. You know, in the future, in perpetuity, right? Like if if somebody's like I'm interested in games, this is on my short list for. Uh, one that I'll pull out and say like, oh, do you like the look of this? Like we're making a little city, uh, kind of like Tetris. You know what? A, that's definitely going to be one of my pitches from for now on. Uh, you know, or until something replaces it, or I get bored of it, or whatever. But you know, to have both in a box is pretty special. You know, I think this is a special piece of design by clearly a very 
special artist and yeah. uh, people should check it out without totally. a doubt. I mean, it's a super high recommendation from both of us, even if we're being critical of the individual components of when else do we get to criticize the uh, Kinesia design? Honestly, you know, <laughs> Oh, there are flaws here. Like, let's talk about that. Yeah, totally. And I will say, if you only listen to this campaign episode, do go listen to the eternal one, play the eternal game, check it out. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. Uh, and it offers something just different enough. It kind of like becomes its own little thing that distills everything wonderful about my city. So Jake, it's been lovely chatting about this with you. Uh, and you know, I'm so excited for our episodes to come. For all of our pre-planners out there, a friendly reminder that we have episodes of The Resistance and Messina coming up. And as always, I want to say thank you to Hembry for intro and outro song, Reach Out. Bye, y'all. Bye, y'all. Bye, y'all.